one. One. Number, Party on, number Wade. one. You're number one <laughs> in my heart, Spencer. <laughs> All right. Well, What's here we are, on, man. Live, live from Nashville over here. Live from wherever the hell you are. <laughs> Montana. Good old Bozeman. Bozeman, Bozeman, Montana. will be here until uh, the end of next month. So it's nice. a lot less humid and sticky than Nashville. So that's awesome. no big deal, Spencer, but in your face. <laughs> How many buffalo have you killed? Oh, I've killed about two, three a day out here. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we like to keep the it. freezer full for the yeah. entire neighborhood. <laughs> Bring some back. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we'll have any left, man. They're kind of small animals. I don't know if you've seen one in person yeah, before. They are. They're tiny. They make them look big. But they're act yeah, they're like the size of my dog, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Special effects, man. Special Fake effects. News. The camera adds 10 pounds, so. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, man, how's your week going? Uh, It's been an interesting one. Been yeah? A busy week. Yeah. A lot of new clients. A lot of new projects so just one of those things like figuring it out like how you do sound we get really through pumped this? about it though so that's good <laughs> <laughs> oh well just to give you a little like literally 10 minutes ago a client called and was like oh this uh project we just started we want to cancel it <laughs> <laughs> like we just launched this thing two weeks ago i'm like and why <laughs> they're like oh we haven't seen any results out of it yet <laughs> i'm like we just started we haven't oh my even God. launched it in the market wow <laughs> those are some high standards yeah that's why i'm a little bit uh like off <laughs> when it comes to being excited about what's going on here oh my god man i had a crazy week too. it's one of those weeks where you like can't get to the end of your to-do list you know what i mean like more shit keeps getting piled on and then everything that you thought would take an hour took two and it's just like ah it was crazy i kind of like those yeah. weeks to be honest with you like it keeps you on your toes a little bit but i'm i'm very tired <laughs> yeah that's how i feel like i feel beat down by this week like overall it was a really good week i just feel like exhausted by it. yeah yeah exactly that's how i'm feeling i'm drained i'm gonna go i'm gonna go drink some beers on a porch somewhere after this. That's what I'm doing. Oh, that sounds good, man. Yeah. Might fly out and meet you. Kill a buffalo. Come on out, dude. Yeah, we'll get, well, <laughs> two or three, like I said, you know. Yeah, you got to get, you got to hit your limit, your daily limit. <laughs> you got to hit the daily limit. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, cool, man. So today on, on Big Marketing, guys, we'll be talking about stuff. What? Key principles, leading principles, right? Like uh, just yep. things that. So because Spencer and I have been doing this for a long, long time, we've developed philosophies. And I don't know about you, Spencer, but like mine come from very much from a place where I've seen things. They come, they, they almost I've seen unanimously, I've <laughs> seen stuff. They almost unanimously come from uh, consistent experiences of failure and like a common thread through all those failures where it's like, oh, that's the thing right there that, that was missing. You know what I mean? Or like the thing that the behavior that needed to change or like the way that I needed to approach this, uh, that would be much smarter than the way that I was approaching it before. And like through, you know, 10, 12 years of doing this, you kind of like solidify and crystallize these things where you're like, okay, I applied this thought process to pretty much everything I do in marketing now. And it helps. I, I mean, it's a huge, 
especially even when you're communicating to your executive team or your boards or your, um, you know, your coworkers, Clients. like this yeah. is how I'm thinking about this thing. And this is how you should think about it too. It just helps to have those quick principles where you're like, you don't violate this. You know what I mean? That's why we're approaching it this way. And everyone goes, Oh, okay. You know, it's just a good yeah. communication method. I think for me, it's just like the stuff that, and this might be what you're trying to get at that we've seen are like almost common. They seem simple, but not everyone follows them the way you would think. And pretty much every business I've worked on, on the ones that you've brought to my attention and the ones that I have here is like, this is just a common mistake that's made almost everywhere that we can yep. just solve that problem pretty quickly by throwing these principles out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's yeah, shoot totally. through them. What do you got? Hopefully we've got some, uh, opportunities to like fast forward people. Like if you're earlier in your marketing career or maybe you're a business owner that doesn't have a ton of experience in marketing or something like that, hopefully this gives you through osmosis a bit more of a mature way of looking at this stuff. Right. So, um, for sure I've, I've got three today and then potentially a bonus one at the end. And I know you've got uh, four or five, right? Yeah. So you want to go with the, with yours first, or you want me to go first? Which we I do. Go. I okay. go. All right, cool. Um, so number one, every marketing action does not result in an attributable sale. And like, this is just something that I see, honestly, with clients is like, they think every dollar that goes into marketing, they're going to see something. It's just like that project that stopped this week it's like well you didn't see results because it didn't start yet <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> and you're like right yeah and i think a lot of executives get that wrong they're like oh this you know there's stages in the funnel we all know that as marketers you've got top of funnel acquisition you've got you know you've got to make your way through that funnel but you've got to get people into the funnel and so those mm -hmm. people that you're getting at the high level are not gonna turn into a sale right away we all know that turns into maybe an email subscriber or um, social media follower. And later mm -hmm. on, you convert that into a sale. But I think a lot of people are, are shooting out guarantees. I see it a lot with my competitors. They're set, like guaranteeing sales on things like influencer marketing. Like, yep. And you will attribute sales and in influencer marketing, but it's not going to be immediate. Like no. You have to have rep repetition, right? And depending and on what so, your product I is, see that too, all the time. You, you might get no attribution on influencer marketing. Um, you might ask at the point of purchase, had you hear about us? And you, you're unable to measure this, right, from a digital marketing perspective. You can't see it in Google Analytics, but somebody will say, I heard about you from this person. And that's yeah. an influencer campaign that you have going on, right? So it's like, this is a, this is helpful. This is a helpful way to kind of think about what you just said, because I think it's right on the money. Uh, and it lot of time is wasted debating this stuff, right? Like a lot of people try to pile their entire budget into acquisition marketing. And then at a certain point you reach diminishing return, your cost of acquisition goes up, everybody gets frustrated, right? And that's why it's really important to have layers above it where you're investing in audience growth, community, um, impression, just positive brand interactions. And then eventually those trickle down the funnel. So it's almost like you have to open up with a percentage of your marketing budget, the top of the funnel, and then you have to spend probably the lion's share, like don't get me wrong, of your marketing budget on converting everybody that you're bringing in through the top. So a good framework to use, uh, in my experience, is just like a 70-20-10 budget breakdown, 
so you're saying like 70% of my budget is going to go towards things that we know work. We have evidence that they're sustainable. They're converting at a decent cost of acquisition. And we know it's probably better because some of this comes out in the wash in terms of attribution now, especially since we're going into the, the cookie list frontier uh, and it's just yeah. going to keep getting worse, right? So you take 70% of your budget and you place it there. And then what you need to explain is the other 30% needs to go towards opening and broadening the top of the funnel. So that could be 20% uh, could contain things like our social media strategy. So we're spending some of our budget on publishing a YouTube video once a week and we're building an audience there. We know they're the right people. They're not going to purchase right away, but we'll weave in integrations to our services or to our product or whatever into those videos. And we know eventually that'll lead to something. And then the 10%, I kind of call it like the wackadoo budget. It's like, you could just call it experimental budget, but you're, you're just taking shots, right? Like, uh, I don't know if this is going to work. I've never tried it before maybe, or maybe I did try it and it didn't work at this other company, but, but I think it might work here. So just experiment. And even if you land on something like a podcast integration, right? Like impossible to measure. No one's clicking through from their headphone onto your website, but, uh, <laughs> But you can say, no, I really believe in this podcast. I love it. Their audience is exactly the right audience. It's a perfect fit. I know that getting our message out through a host read is making an influence and impact. That That's a place where you can dedicate some of that 10% to is just to like things that you believe are highly influential, but not measurable. Yeah. And you might like there's you know, top of funnel analytics, like you could might see a, a lift in web visitors. Like there's stuff like that you can pay attention to, but it's not always going to be a sale. And that's one thing, especially very junior marketers. I see that a lot. They're like expecting everything to convert into sales. And it's hard because you have to like, if you're, if you're an agency like myself or a freelancer and you're trying to explain to the client, it's a very hard sell to say, Hey, we don't know what the ROI is going to be on this campaign. Yep. We'll see where it goes, especially if you're not full service and you're only focusing on influencer marketing or one of those other things. Yeah, that so gets that, tricky that for me sure. Is a very important one. Yeah, you don't get full control over the yeah. funnel, and it's it's that that limits your ability as a marketer to tweak and adjust uh, on the fly for sure. Um, how do you measure things up the funnel? You know, because you can always measure something, but like what? Uh, let's say you're you're at the very top of the funnel. What are you reporting on then? If it's not ROI, what is it? Well, I think your basic web analytics. I mean, depending on if you've got a website or an app, like what mm -hmm. are the interactions like with your website or your app? How much traffic, how many new users do you have to your site? I mean, you should see some lift. I mean, and it might be through search. Like you might see the lift in search because a lot of people hear a podcast ad read or hear an influencer. And they don't go right to your site. They remember it. Yep. They might even save it and then look at it and then they go search for you. Yep. So, I mean, that, but you just never know. It's an important thing to keep in mind when you talk about that 30% of the budget that's not necessarily measurable through an ad platform or through Google Analytics is that you have to measure and report on something people are always going to want to see some kind of result. So even if at the very least you're measuring a CPM, you know what I mean? And you're saying, here's our cost per thousand yeah. impressions. Like that's enough. Okay. This is cost effective reach. We're really confident it's the right audience. Here's why. So we think this is good spend. And remember it's, it's just in this, it's a portion of this 30%. So we're not 
going all in. We're not going nuts with it, but we believe in the influential power of this channel. And here's what we're going to report on. And it just depends on the strategy. If you can actually get people to the site, then you do want to report on traffic and those impressions and say, cool, these are a part of our retargeting list now retargeting ads perform at this ROI and we're just feeding those lists and growing them. There's always something that you can do to kind of prove some sort of efficacy with the strategy, right? Yeah, no, and you're right. It comes down to like being your confidence level in, in the targeted audience. Like if it's the right target and you're getting CPMs, you know, or you're measuring CPM, like that's that's good too. I mean, I mean think about the evolution of marketing and advertising. So, like, I was just talking to um, he's the former head of marketing at Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and I was explaining this. It, we were actually running into a very similar situation to what you're talking about right now, and I was kind of just like bouncing some ideas off of him. And he's like, "Yeah, I mean, one of the problems with the digital age is that everything is so measurable that it just boxes people's creativity out a little bit." He's like, "When I started out, Jordan, he's like, they they used to give you just like fifteen percent of their revenue, and just they give it to a media buying team, and they'd be like, just go spend this money, just go spend it. <laughs> You'd like buy. TV we'll see how we did and, at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, and like newspaper ads, and like obviously that's incredibly hard to measure, but it's like." What do you think they were doing? They were measuring and reporting on a CPM for sure. They were trying to find the most cost-effective ways to reach the audience. And then they were just looking at customer growth, like top line, how many customers did we get when we flipped the switch on versus when it was off? So you don't have to, this is something I try to stress a lot. It's, it's fun to get into the weeds with some of these reports and like kind of flex your performance marketing muscles and be like, oh yeah, this report that I generated in Google Analytics on a uh, multi-touch attribution model or whatever, that's all fine, but there are situations where it's just not necessary. You don't have to overcomplicate it. You can keep it simple. You can just ask somebody at the point of purchase, how did they hear about you, right? You can just look at a lift in your branded search and say my ads weren't on and then they were and now branded search is up a week later. Great, that that's probably attributable, right? You don't have to be yeah. like, a hundred and ten percent confident in every single strategy that you're running you can be like 90 percent confident in that in that 30 percent framework right for sure for sure yeah i mean i think yeah most people all of this seems easy though like when we talk about this it's like it, it makes sense like i think most marketers who have been seasoned understand it but if you're a new marketer it's definitely good to remind your bosses and sure. just to let you know it's Whoever okay our clients you know what i mean like it's it's all right that you yeah. can't figure out how to perfectly measure this thing don't get into that box um because you're you're really limiting the growth of your company if you do so that that leads me to my first principle can i talk about mine now or you want to take just should you just talk the no. whole podcast okay all right <laughs> no uh, no no we'll switch <laughs> we'll take turns uh so mine is that you are wrong 50% of the time. Okay. So this is why it's important to measure at least something because marketing requires a certain amount of creativity. You're going to be coming up with a lot of ideas. If you manage a team or if you just are a part of the team, 
people are going to be throwing ideas out there constantly, right? That they really believe in. And I used to be one of those people who was like, dude, this is totally going to work. This is the best idea ever. How could this fail? You know, and then you release it and you measure some of the results, whether it's ROI or something further up the funnel, like what we were talking about. And you're like, I'm dumb. <laughs> and that's yeah. like, I feel like that's something that over the course of my career, I just, I had to figure out a way for that to just be okay. You know what I mean? So it's like, I started this philosophy probably like four or five years ago, something like that, where it's like, let's set the expectation up front that we're going to experiment on a small scale with every idea that everybody has. We're going to measure to the best of our ability and we're going to be fine with being wrong because the faster we can get through these experiments, the faster we'll find those things that are right. And what I've found so many times is if you don't approach it that way, somebody will champion an idea and they'll do that confirmation bias dance. You know what I mean? Like, look at all these impressions. Like, oh my God. And you're like, right, but we're measuring this on the criteria of signups and it's not driving sign up. Yeah, 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 but it's good still. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. I mean, those are the people that like lose their jobs, unfortunately, because they just can't, they get married to an idea. Don't marry your idea. Just accept the fact that you're not right all the time and that's okay. It's totally fine. Well, that comes with experience. It's just being let down enough times with your ideas. <laughs> like you just yep. realize you can't, you can't rely on that. And you're right. Like, I think for the most part, it's just figuring out how to get everyone on the same page. Cause I see it all over an organization, not just in marketing, right? People love their ideas and create that confirmation bias. You see it a lot with executives too. They have some new product they want to launch and they just run with that project for an entire year at a loss and don't get to success. And you're like, this could have been solved way sooner. Like you don't have, so the, I think this they, is they just an organizational the, problem. They didn't have the discipline to set up a feedback loop of like, what are we trying to drive? And are we in fact driving that? And then if we are not, is there an adjustment that we want to make and run the experiment for another week or two? Or do we just say like, okay, that wasn't it. Let's take this budget and put it into the next idea that we have in the backlog. Yeah. I love that. I'd be curious to see the opposite of that. <clears throat> like when someone just kept going on an idea and it actually worked. I mean, I know it's probably almost none, <laughs> maybe like Netflix or something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good call out though, because there are exceptions to that rule in that, um, like take a podcast for instance, uh, who was I listening to recently that was talking about this? I think it was, um, was it Joe Polizzi on This Old Marketing? I love that podcast, by the way. Those guys are awesome. Yeah. But he uh, he was just talking about, this might not have been him, so I'm sorry if it's not, but he was talking about like, at the beginning of launching a podcast, there's no one there. <laughs> there's no one listening. And so if you're too quick to judge and you just go, oh, well, we're not getting any, there's no audience here. You know, for a strategy like that, I think you do have to acknowledge that this is a higher budget or higher ticket item because we have to run this for like probably 50 to 100 episodes before we get an audience going. And <laughs> yeah, knowing that sure. up front that that's your commitment, I mean, that's the only way that you're going to develop an audience is like, oh, now we start getting dozens of views, 
few of those people subscribed. Now we're getting hundreds. Now we're getting thousands. Like that just takes time, especially now. There's like eight million podcasts or something like that out there, and it's just <laughs> super competitive. And we're another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, uh, big marketing guys would really appreciate your subscription to the YouTube channel or uh, the podcast <laughs> on iTunes or Spotify. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> How about just all, all of them? them. <laughs> Review us. Yeah. Say good things. We appreciate it. Search for us. You won't find us. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> You'll click subscribe and Spotify will pop up a notification that says, like, are you sure, dude? <laughs> yeah. uh, I love it. We're doing a marketing podcast. We can't even market our own podcast. <laughs> I think that's like we just want to be one giant oxymoron. That's what we're trying to do. Like we're, yeah. we're giving advice on how to market, but our audience is four people. <laughs> Our goal is to have the least amount of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so what oh, else do you that's got? That's hilarious. Um, let's What's your see. second one? A lot of these like crossed. A lot of these crossed over. Um, you can have the best product in the world, but you need to continue. I mean, product innovation forever. Like you have to iterate on your product, no matter what it is. You've seen it. I've seen it where executives and businesses rest on their laurels. They're like, oh, this product's good enough. And then someone comes up and eats their lunch. And that's the thing, like, it's never good enough. And your product always has to improve over time. There's nothing that's good enough. Like, you just got to keep going with it no matter what. You got to spend on product. You can't just spend on marketing forever and expect that to carry all the weight of the business because someone's – inevitably catching up to you. I mean, look at AI, like all the different AI tools out there and how much competition is in that space. Like you can't, you can't just sit back and be like, Oh yeah, we finally made it. I see that with executives. I've done it in the past where you've worked your butt off and you're like, ah, I can take a break, but you can't. No, you can't. And <laughs> it's not just about marketing. Once you figure out what the product is and you feel like you've got a good product you got to keep going and we see that a lot i mean with clients they're like oh you know i launched this um say skincare line five years ago and we haven't changed a thing and i'm like well what's your value proposition now they're like oh well it's got this ingredient i'm like now every product has that ingredient everybody has that like there's right. no yeah your competition there's no differentiator up. there so. and like even with i was just yeah. talking to somebody recently about this but and we talked about this in the last episode, but artificial intelligence being like this, like every tech leader, tech publication out there is incentivized to believe that AI is this brand new category that's just going to be like worth hundreds of billions of dollars at some point. But really what we're seeing is it's powering some cool yeah. features in some of the already noteworthy players. Maybe some of the smaller time players are getting to it first, and that's giving them a good, I don't know. 12 months or something like that of differentiation where they can tout that they can acquire more customers at a cheaper cost. But eventually, man, people are going to catch up. So you've got to keep innovating. And my CEO has this really great uh, image that he shows when he talks about, he talks about this exactly like that. You, you have to be unrelenting, right? So what you have to do is figure out sort of a sustainable pace and he calls it the stress parabola. And he says, when you're too far to the right, and you can't sleep and uh, you can't think and you can't form sentences because you're working too late, 
like you're no you're of no value to anybody you know what i mean and like you're just gonna burn out and then probably your competitors are gonna end up eating your lunch right if you're too far to the left and you're not doing enough yeah. you're just not creating enough value because you're i don't know what you're doing probably drinking beers on a patio like this guy um but if you're right in the middle where it's yeah. like you, you get to the end of the day and you're like i didn't get everything done that I wanted to get done today, but I have to stop. That's probably the right amount of work for you to have. Like, it's not stressing you out. You know, no one's going to die because you didn't get those last two boxes checked on your to-do list. But like, you know, you had enough work to fill out a nine, 10 hour day and you gotta, you gotta go hang out with your friends and your wife and your daughter and get a good night's sleep because otherwise you're going to run yourself into the ground. And that's just as bad as not doing anything sometimes. No, a hundred percent. I think you probably hear, there are probably people listening to this that are like, Oh, you can't improve roofing, but you can like, or home improvements. Like everything can be improved and you should strive for that. No matter what, what's the point of running a business if you're not improving how you operate and the value you add to your client base, um, whatever it is. So I think that's one big thing because I've seen that a lot. Like a lot of times entrepreneurs just run out of ideas too, which is one of the hard things. You got to bring in people that'll kind of reinvigorate your energy. It, right. Because not every sector is easy to innovate. Well, and it's important to remember too, as a marketer, so, you are a product marketer. You know what I mean? Like whether you like it or not, you're, you're one of the people yeah. that is facing the customer receiving feedback from them, whether that's in a comment section on a YouTube video or on a call or supporting them in the web chat or whatever, right? Uh, getting a response to a marketing email and somebody's, you know, telling you what, what's missing or what they don't like, you have to feed that back then to product. And a lot of times if you're paying close attention, you'll see some commonalities between the feedback and maybe that leads you to that next innovation. You know, like I would argue that you really need to, the creativity and the guessing is really at the beginning. If you do a good job of that as an entrepreneur or a business leader and you get the first like two or three things that are resonating, working, selling, generating revenue for you, there's a way to construct a system of product research that will fill you up with a backlog of more ideas that you can test. It, it doesn't have to be all on you. There can be a, a methodical approach to doing this. Yeah, that's a good point. Cause I think a lot of entrepreneurs mm -hmm. put it on themselves, but you're right. It's at that point, it's like the customers can decide how yep. you innovate the product. So just move forward with that. Yes. But what do you got? My next? next one is that, um, there are macro factors that, make marketing a non-starter okay so i've talked about this maybe in one previous episode before but the three that i always talk about are your total addressable market size so like it and you and i have been in places before where it's like we need to launch this big marketing campaign and you're like you have ten thousand companies that may buy this product <laughs> potentially like we know this objectively yeah. marketing is and the marketer's like, I need yeah. 100,000. Exactly. You're like, they, they don't it's, exist. It's like, there's nothing you can do about that as a marketer. And this is something that I always advise people, like, make sure you scrutinize this before you take a marketing role because you're never going to be successful if one of these things is out of whack. So the first is total addressable market size. Second is uh, just a flood of competition. Like if there are hundreds of competitors in a certain space, you have a really hard time if you don't have a way to stand out. If, if, if the company that's trying to recruit you 
is saying the same exact thing as all six dozen of their competitors. I mean, that that's tough, right? I, that, that's going to make your job, I wouldn't say impossible, but it's going to be a lot harder, right? Like TAM maybe at a certain point is impossible. Competition at a certain point is impossible, but you want to kind of have that barometer of like, where is it uh, playable versus where is it just going to cost way too much to acquire somebody through marketing and no one's going to be happy with it. And then the third one is just product market fit. So yeah. it's, it's just a, a matter of having a product that resonates with that total addressable market. Like if your product is not, if people are signing up and they're not adopting, or if people are <laughs> saying yes to your service and then canceling two weeks, like if everybody did that, then something's wrong with the service clearly, you know what I mean? Or, or wrong with the product clearly. So you have to evaluate that too, to the best of your ability, ask questions like what does your net retention rate look like? Uh, what is your free to paid drop off look like? What is your current cost per acquisition of an acquired customer? If those things aren't intact, if they're out of whack, it could be a product issue. And if it's a product issue, there's only so much you can do from the marketing department, right? You can advise, you can provide feedback, you can provide suggestions, but you don't own the roadmap and you're not telling the ops team what to work on. So it's it just be really cautious of those things. So that's my second principle is that there are macro factors that will determine whether or not you're successful and you need to be very cautious of those. Yeah. Well, that's the thing though. The, the client I was talking about, it was a pricing issue. So that's why they wanted to hold off because they got to figure out, right. they got to rework their product. It costs them too much. They've got it priced too high, three times above market. So Perfect they have example. to reevaluate the strategy. This is a long time client. Yeah, this is a long time client. We should have done better, you know, on our end. I think you're one of the best at this, but uh, like I just want to touch on that because someone who is a kind of a mid level marketer was talking to me the other day and they were telling me about this company. They're like, look at how cool this company is. Um, they want me to come work there. What do you think? And I'm like asking him about the product and he had no good answers about. Yeah, it seemed like right. a cool company, right? But pretty well-known company. And you got to look at the fundamentals of the company yeah. you're going to work at, no matter what. So if you're a marketer, you don't want to make it a miserable couple of years on yourself going in to a product or a market that's yep. overly competitive, a product that's not differentiated, and trying to figure it out. I mean, that's a real tough position to be in. So you want to make sure that those factors are there just because you get a job offer in that area. I mean, you gotta, you gotta be smart about it. And I see a lot of people make that mistake. They're like, oh, this is just an awesome company. I'm like, tell it's me like about the, the product you're marketing. The shiny what's the, object what's the thing, total right? market Where it's size? like, oh man, the grass is definitely greener over yep. there. I'm going, you know, and it's like, is it <laughs> like, what's the pH balance of the soil? Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta think a little bit for and and I think that's just an experience thing too, is you think about like, well, what made my job really hard at previous positions? And you start to develop those, those red flags that you can suss out at another organization before you say yes to working with them. And you can dodge bullets that way, man. I certainly have. And, um, you know, it, it's just, yeah, it's important to be skeptical. Like, again, you're wrong 50% of the time, right? You, you could be wrong about what you think about this organization too. Like they might look super legit, but once you start asking them some of the fundamental questions, you might be like, oof, <laughs> that sounds horrible. 
Well, that's the thing. You can be persuaded by a big salary too, but it's like, okay, they offer you 300000 for the position. You go over there, and in three months they kick you out because you can't live up to <laughs> your salary. Well, if anybody's well, like, offering a mid-level, you know, and but I see a lot of people a do that. Level marketer a three hundred thousand dollars salary. I'm going to humbly suggest that they give you that budget <laughs> instead. <laughs> I know. I just threw that out there because I didn't want to offend anybody <laughs> on price point. But yeah, I, I, but I, you see that all too often. I mean, it just comes, and it's even so. Say you're an agency owner, or a freelancer, from that perspective too. Qualify. Qualify your potential clients just as much as they're qualifying you. Like, do it because it'll save you a headache. Yes, sir. Cool. All right, let's see. Don't stick your hand on a burning stove. What? That's (laughs) – we just like (laughs) in a really complicated way explain that idiom in marketing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lock your doors at night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh what what you want doesn't matter it's the consumer um yeah i mean you you've seen this i've seen this <laughs> dude have you seen i really want to play this clip i was going to ask you before we did this joe dirt where he's like listing off all the different oh. fireworks Husker who's <laughs> yes, don't and the guy's like i just like snakes and sparklers he's like well that's your problem my friend it's not what about what you want. It's about the <laughs> consumer. <laughs> Such a good. But movie. Uh, it made me think of that because I always watch. I always watch that around the Fourth of July for some reason, <laughs> and I don't know scene. if it's that scene or whatever. But I was, yeah. <laughs> but I was watching it the other day, and I saw that. And I'm like, this is, fits perfect. But yeah, I mean, so many businesses are like just trying to build out their business for what they like, which sometimes it works if you're like the end consumer for what you do and you fall directly into your ideal market. But usually that's not the case and you need to test, you know, it's again, setting KPIs, testing what works, Um, trying to give an example. Like we, I mean, we just had a recent client, very skeptical of the design work we did on their website. And if you had seen their previous design, you would be mortified. It was color everywhere, all this, you know, like no calls to action. <laughs> Just like every, um, every basic was fundamental slow. was being violated. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they basically, when we delivered it, they were like, oh, this is boring. This isn't wh-. I'm like, well, what do you know about your your consumer and have you tested it? Like, let's at least test what we've come up with and see how it does before we jump to conclusions. And again, it comes down to that, that factor of test and figure it out, but, um, don't build it for yourself. Like we came back to the table with our analytics and we're like, look, we've got a 20% lift in, in new users. We've got a 50% increase in engagement. Like, yeah, that just speaks for itself. It doesn't matter what. Yeah, you Yeah, and want, I feel obviously. like some people need to go through yeah, that so process it's like, of like having a really hardcore opinion and then being proven wrong by the data. You just have to be brought through that a few times to feel like the. There really, you shouldn't feel ashamed about it. You know what I mean? But there is like a certain amount of shame if it's new to you, where you're like, "Oh my god, I was so wrong." You know, and it's like 
you just feel that pain a little bit more, you're going to be, yeah. uh, you'll be more objective about your opinions in the future. Cause you'll be like, Oh, well, I think this is right. But I, I remember all these times where I thought that before, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, yeah, it goes. I mean, I've like, I can't tell you how many times I like something a certain way and it's not the way that it mm -hmm. needs to be to perform. Like what, again, we're, building a site out when we build it to the audience not for ourselves and our own design preferences totally and that's how it should be that's how you should look at it but that's, that's just so common especially with mid-sized smaller such businesses a good one. and th this my next one is like really for mid-sized smaller businesses too i think um and it's that you can be great at anything, but you can't be great at everything. Okay. So, and I'm not talking about from a product side, although that's probably applicable there too. I'm talking about from a marketing standpoint, I've talked to other marketing leaders slash been in positions where people are saying things like, you know, Instagram audience is amazing. Engagement is sky high. Like everybody loves us there, but like, why aren't we on TikTok? Like, why aren't we crushing TikTok? You know what I mean? And it's like, Sometimes those are valid criticisms where it's like, yeah, that's a net new channel that we do have the bandwidth to go pursue. But a lot of times you're at capacity. And if it means that you have to take resources away from the thing that's working really well and invest them into something, it's going to dilute your overall potency. You know what I mean? Like I would recommend you concentrate and hone in on one thing, one content strategy, maybe one social media channel to begin with and make that really, really successful. It doesn't have to be one. I mean, if you have the bandwidth for a couple, then do it, but don't overextend yourself because what you're going to end up doing is being mediocre and your customers will be apathetic to all your content and therefore your brand, right? If you don't do a great job or stand out in some way in one of these content strategies, if it's just a bunch of gray goo that lo looks like everybody else's stuff and it's not really unique, it's not really helpful because you just don't have the time to spend on making it unique or helpful, then you're, you're throwing money down the toilet, right? Yeah, that's another easy one that's like very, I see it all the time uh, with clients. They mm -hmm. want to be everywhere and they want to be great everywhere. But realistically, most companies do not have the budget mm -hmm. to do everything well. And so it's just like focus on one to two, maybe three at a time max and go from there. I yep. totally agree with that. Well, it's, it's funny because especially when you're talking to somebody who's on the outside looking in, they're looking for the low hanging fruit because everybody wants to grow faster. It doesn't matter if you're growing at a hundred percent year over year. They're like, how do we get 150%, right? Like that's just a natural, I think, ambitious entrepreneurial spirit. We think that way too. And, uh, I think when you're on the outside looking in, you're going, well, there's a whole new thing right there that we could do, right? But I, I think my advice is just be cautious because you don't want to dilute the quality of the other channels that are working and then be honest about what is it going to cost? Do we need to hire somebody then? If we really want to go pursue that channel and we think it carries potential for growth, maybe let's experiment with it on a small scale and verify those assumptions. And then maybe I can go retain an agency to really spearhead that channel for me. Or maybe I need a new social media coordinator to come in and just own TikTok, for instance, or like threads is new. Everybody's rushing into threads right now. Like, do you have the bandwidth to do that? It, it's just important to stop and think. 
and say, is this going to uh, risk the quality of what is already working? Yeah, no, I like that thought. I mean, I think hiring an agency that's, I mean, obviously Threads is new, so that's a different case, but you can also hire someone and learn from them. Hire an agency, learn from them, and then bring True. it in. Yeah, you could go the like. opposite direction where it's like, let's experiment with an agency. If they find something that works, then I can justify the, the full-time hire. Yeah, that makes sense. For sure. For sure. This one's kind of similar that I have. Um, everyone is not your customer. Um, how many times have you heard a, an executive say, well, anyone's so many times. our customer? And you're like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> heard it all the so time. So many times, and, and it's the most terrifying uh, thing to hear as a marketer. You're like, oh no. <laughs> I know. I, I had literally had someone tell me that today. I'm like, that's not a good way to look at things. Like, you're not going to be effective mm -hmm. no matter what you do. You got to have an audience picked out, and you want to be relevant with your content strategy to that audience. If you say everyone, then. Who do you go after? How do you create messaging that meets the needs and the wants of a customer? You don't. And that's part of the problem. See this with a lot of like, especially in the B2B space, especially service companies where they take on everything. And um, yeah, it's just, and I, look, we're doing it right now as an agency. This is something when we started, sometimes you start that way where you're like, oh, I'll be everything to everyone and you realize pretty quickly you can't do that i mean that's how exactly how our agency started and we're still you know trying to narrow our niche is like you know who are the best clients to work with who's going to bring in the revenue that you need to sustain your business and all that it's easy early on to be persuaded by the revenue i think yep. is part of the problem um but you know, make those decisions case by case, but you don't want to be everything to everyone, especially, yeah, especially if you're a service company or in the service sector. It's like you have to have processes that produce predictable outcomes at a predictable cost. And so if you're doing everything, you can't, I mean, there are agencies out there that could probably do everything for you, but they're massive and they're super expensive, right? So like you have to hone in on those things that are more predictable that you know that you can mutually benefit with your client from so they're getting value because they're growing you're getting value because you're getting the margin on the hours that it takes to run that play for them and so you can grow your business too like finding the right customers i think that's a good way to put it for sure i mean for us we started with websites and seo and then we progressively added on new services based on what people wanted um, and you can do that. I think you can add a new service, but hone, hone your skills in one service and then add a new one. Once you've got time to really yeah, build like out this the process cruising. So let me move on to, to this service or whatever. Yep. The next thing that makes yep. sense. <clears throat> uh, I've got one last one and it's just, uh, it's going to sound like something you'd see on a motivational poster, but communication is critical. And that is so true for digital marketers. Like we talked early in the podcast about how it can be difficult to measure certain things, but we said pretty, uh, emphatically, you have to measure something, right? Like people want to know something. So you have to report that back. Don't forget that last step. Like you might be looking at the analytics and saying, I screw this up all the time, by the way. So 
I'm calling this a principle. Let's call it an area, uh, an opportunity for improvement <laughs> for me. Can, yeah, I run that experimentation yeah. process and we're rifling through dozens of these per month. And I'm just saying, nope, yes, nope, yes. And I'm going and calling the plays with the team, but I'm not like picking my head up as frequently as I should be to say, here's what happened, you know what I mean, with, with these ones and maybe why we're not seeing as much adoption for this particular feature or product that we want to see because we, you know, generated these this pool of impressions and clicks through and adoption and then nobody's stuck or something like that. So you have to and then everyone goes, Oh, okay, so we gotta tweak the the feature or whatever, or like maybe there's a different strategy in product or something like that that you want to try out. Um but it's important to let everybody know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, Hey, the, the effort was made first of all, but secondly, like what does the data tell us we need to do next as a team, as an organization, right? No, you're right. I think that's the key is like, as an organization, a good example was the product that in my opinion was priced wrong. We're getting a ton of traffic to the site, you know, a lot of people are looking around on the site and engaging with the website, but they're not converting. And the price is three times the cost of comparative products. So you got to say, well, hey, you know, we're getting traffic. Analytics look good on our end, um, but we got to figure something out with product. If you don't have that communication, you know, because I don't want to report that the that it's not converting. Like who wants to report that? <laughs> right, exactly. To their client <laughs> we're, that we're not selling, but but you got to because a lot of times it's not your fault. It's not right, the marketing anybody's fault. Yeah, could right, exactly. Or yeah, or it could be. I mean, maybe you just didn't nail that headline. You're not communicating the value prop right. Like it's you have to. You kind of have to come to that as a team, right? Like here's everything that we tried. Here's what happened. I disagree. Yeah. I'm always well, right. So. That's true. But, you know, we can't all be as smart as you, Spencer. <laughs> You're right. Spencer's, I don't, Spencer's yeah, I don't leading principle 50. is that he's right 100% of the time. <laughs> yes. I literally have that on a poster listen on the wall to me. in my office. Just listen to me and you will be successful. <laughs> yeah. We operate more as a marketing <laughs> cult. I'm the leader, just to be clear. <laughs> drink, drink, drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> All right, let me see. Do I have anything? You got one more? Um, one more. Live, laugh, wow. love. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, that's not it. <laughs> Sorry. That's that... a good one, though. We should all do more of that. Uh, it is. Yeah. Um, okay, here, one more. If you can, develop products for your audience, mm. not the other way around. So, I mean, I think a lot of times it that's goes interesting. the other way. So where... you developed a product that you thought was a good idea, and now you're trying to find an audience for it versus I talked to a market and came up with an idea with them for something. Yeah, with, with them, what they actually yep. need. Because you can have ideas about, and there's unknowns too, like who is your market? And I'll just walk through an example. I had a parking app that I started, and everyone loved the app. The app was great. You didn't have to go to a machine and pay. 
basically we operated off a Bluetooth beacon. So when you drove into the lot, it charged, it charged your card off your phone using Bluetooth. Awesome idea. But what we didn't realize is that, yeah, the people that want to pay for parking love it, but the parking operators hated it. And so we developed this with the wrong right. customer in mind. We, we had the wrong audience in mind. We built that out. And it's like we should have talked to the parking operators. They don't want it to be easier. They want it to be harder because they make their money off a of ticket. Fucking parking so, lots, dude. Stuff like that. I hate them. Every time I park I in Nashville, I'm always like, oh, my God. You know, you got to go up to the thing and put in your li- – they're like, what's your license plate number? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and then you got to walk back to see it. You parked at the back so of the arduous. lot. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think that was a big awakening. I'm like, man, that's crazy because, like, everyone I know complains about it. It's not being innovated, but it's because mm-hmm. they don't have to innovate. Yep. People are going to park in their lots. The only thing that changed that was Uber and Lyft. But still, if you go downtown, you're going to see cars and $25 Yep. An hour parking yep. lots, you know, hundred percent. But, uh, yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's definitely easier to collaborate with your audience, figure out what they want. And that's one thing I used to do in real estate development. We would go into the community and we would figure out what the community wants. So we'd bring Legos, um, everybody take pieces wants of paper and let the neighbors actually draw. So everybody wants Legos. What? It's a good strategy. So Everybody we became loves a Legos. Lego reseller. Yeah. So we would, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the end. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I made my money. I'm a Lego reseller. It's an empire. It's an empire. Dude, that sounds the awesome. Lego empire. Yeah. <laughs> Counterfeit <laughs> Legos. <laughs> no, but you go in there and you let them figure out what they want. And you just coach them. It's way easier. Like you're collaborating with the community. And guess what? When you do that, you end up getting to develop what you want in the community. So if we go in and we want to develop a mixed-use building and have um, three commercial spaces for restaurants or bars and then have Airbnbs above it, you walk them through that. They're so much happier to have you there and, and collaborate with you that they end up pushing anything through. Whereas other developers come in and they're like, Hey, here's my building that I developed for you guys. And we'd like to uh, push this through today so we can get 300 new people in your neighborhood. Uh, it'll be great. And yeah. people are like, no, right. F you man. <laughs> like we don't, the traffic's bad. We have mm-hmm. no parking for it. And that's just cause there's no collaboration, but there's another example of, you know, just collaborate Generate with your potential audience. Right. Yep. Exactly. Good stuff. Well, I'd say we probably solved most of the cool, world's man. problems today. And uh, I'm glad if you listened, if you're one of the four people who listened, we appreciate you so much. Please, for the love of God, leave a comment or a review and uh, <laughs> help us grow. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to find us because <laughs> we're not marketing the podcast. Us, you will but... double our audience size. <laughs> yeah. That'll be huge. That'll be massive for us. <laughs> But yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully it was helpful <laughs> yeah. to somebody. And uh, you know, if not, we'll see you next time. We'll try again. <laughs> All right, Spence. All right, see you, man.